they had a newspaper called the Covered Bridge Gazette or something like that. And she wrote in the Covered Bridge Gazette that her daughter, Ellen Ratner, was a classical pianist who studied at Juilliard. I was no classical pianist. To this day, I am not a classical pianist. <laughs> Juilliard, never. So neighbors and people would come by, and my parents had to say, Ellen, play something for us. So I always had to say, oh, I sprained my thumb. I broke my fingers. I'm, who knows what? Make up all these excuses. This is Caregiver Storyteller, produced by Caring Kind, the heart of Alzheimer's caregiving. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Caregiver Storyteller, a storytelling podcast about Alzheimer's and dementia caregiving. I'm Chris Doucette and I'll be interviewing caregivers to get their stories about Alzheimer's and dementia caregiving. Occasionally, I'll also interview the authors, advocates, researchers, healthcare professionals, and people with Alzheimer's and dementia to hear their stories too. So, are you ready? Here we go. Hi guys, before we begin this episode of Caregiver Storyteller, I'd like to say three things. First, Happy New Year. I wish all of you a safe and happy and healthy 2019. Second, thank you. You've made Caregiver Storyteller the number one caregiving podcast on iTunes, and that is pretty cool. Third, a new year means new opportunities. As the Director of Community Engagement here at Caring Kind, it's my job to help people interact with Caring Kind. One way is through this podcast. Another way is by coordinating a team of athletes who compete in five events throughout the year, the New York City Half Marathon, New York City Full Marathon, the Bike Tour, the Triathlon, and the Tackle ALZ Flag Football Game. Getting an entry for these races can be very difficult, but Karen Kind has a number of entries to give away. The next race is the New York City Half Marathon on March 17th. So, if you're interested in running with us, please visit karenkindnyc.org athletes. That address again is karenkindnyc.org athletes. Thanks again for all your support, and I hope you can run with us. Now on to the show. My name is Ellen Ratner. I live at East 72nd Street in Manhattan, and I have a long and sad and happy relationship with Alzheimer's. My mother was diagnosed with Alzheimer's probably in around 1997. She and my father who had a beautiful, beautiful marriage of over 65 years, they would say 65 years of honeymoon, were walking and shopping in a shop right, and they tripped on one of those black mats that they put down in the rain. My mother tripped and brought my father down, and my father sustained a severe spinal injury and had to go to hospitals and rehab and all kinds of things. And my mother so was living alone out in New Jersey. I have no sisters and brothers. And I was in Manhattan and she, I believe, through the guilt and the misery and feeling so horrible, somehow, if she was prone to Alzheimer's, somehow that sunk her even deeply and, and started it off. So I didn't notice anything really weird until my father came home and from, from the hospital. And he was able to walk around. He just couldn't use uh, his hands, two fingers in each hand. And I noticed that she was forgetting certain things, and, and she used to drive because now my father couldn't drive, and she got lost several times, and the police had to bring her back. And then she started becoming very um, angry and adamant and, and 
yelling and screaming at my father all the time when they had a relationship of such love that I, I've never seen anything like that. They even sat and watched TV holding hands all through their marriage. And she started yelling at him and being nasty with him. And it wasn't who she was. She was sweet and she was lovely. And so we we took her in it for a general a general checkup and, and had her uh, seen by, by the doctor. And he had said this was in... 1998, the accident happened probably about six months prior to that, that he thought that it was Alzheimer's. And I, living 60 miles away and not having a car, had a severe problem with that because I didn't know what to do with my mother. My father said, don't worry, I'll handle it. And I believed him. I believed him. But it was just too much for him. He used to make her breakfast every morning and and try to cook for her. And he couldn't. And she would accuse him at age 84 of having affairs. And whenever the phone rang, she would scream, it's your lover, it's your lover. And she would go lock herself in the bedroom. So it became really difficult for him. So my father and I decided we should have an aide come and stay with them to help out. Whoever the aide was, after about two or three days, my mother would take the aide suitcase out in the street and empty it and throw it out on the lawn and scream she was going to call the police. She didn't want anyone. She didn't want anyone. So I had to take a leave of absence from teaching. Um, I took about, I think, a six-month leave of absence. And my father and I decided that we needed full-time help. And so we went looking and... My, I moved my parents into Atria Assisted Living in uh, 2000, uh, October of 2000. I moved them in. And I had to lie so to my mother because I was packing up their house. And she would, what are you doing with my stuff? What are you doing with my belongings? And, and where are we going? And why are you doing this? So I, I used to wait until she would fall asleep at 10 o'clock at night. And then scurry and pack and pack and pack. So, of course, for weeks I didn't get any sleep and I would pack. And she would see that there was less and less in the house, but she didn't really realize it. And and then when she did, I told her that because of my father being so sick and because of my living so far away, I had to they had to go somewhere for the winter. And then when the spring came, they would move back home. And, of course, it was not like that. It was a permanent move. So... I was swallowed up in the depths of my mother's Alzheimer's, and um, I don't know how much more you want me to say. I could go on and on and on, but um, while she was still living there, she took off her her clothes and ran outside, screaming at my father that he was having an affair, and I had to run after her, and the neighbors would see her running around naked outside. Or, as I said, she would try to lock herself up. One, One day... I came into the bedroom. She was trying to get dressed, and she was putting on her robe, and she had her feet through the sleeves and her body through the body of the robe. I had to keep buying her watches because she would hide things all the time. She would think that somebody was coming in the middle of the night and stealing things. So I used to buy her Timex watch after Timex watch, each one looking alike. I would keep getting the same ones. And after I moved my parents, I would find a watch hidden in the towels. I would find a watch in the underwear. I'd find a watch in the medicine cabinet. I probably could have sold about 15 watches, (laughs) but I had to keep doing that for her. And she became... She became soft and sweet after she got on the medication 
and she was like a baby. She became like a little baby. And, and when I moved them, I'll never forget that day, my father with his walker and my, no, sorry, my father with his, in his wheelchair and my mother with the walker and I had them in the back of the car and I did this by myself. Nobody helped me. I did the whole, whole thing by myself. None of my friends were available to help and I, and I didn't have a partner at the time. And as I said, I'm an only child and my mother's brother, her only living brother, who adored her and loved her, said, you don't expect me to help you with your parents, do you? And I said, no. I also forgot to mention that Alzheimer's was in my family. My mother's father had Alzheimer's. Her sister had Alzheimer's. Three of her first cousins had Alzheimer's. And that's how I first realized that there was something wrong with my mother and maybe it was Alzheimer's. I had never heard of it before. I had never heard of it. I didn't know about goods and services and things that were happening, or I would have taken advantage of them. So I didn't know. So I moved my parents, and maybe the rest of the story will come later. But I, I was able to move them to Atria and Kew Gardens, and that was the best thing I ever did for my parents and myself in my life. What's your mom's name? Ethel, Ethel Rantner. And my father was Dave, or otherwise known by my mother as My Dave. I am My Ellen, and he was My Dave. Ethel and Dave. Yes. How did your mom interpret her Alzheimer's diagnosis? The truth of the matter is she never, ever said anything about it. Neighbors stopped coming by and visiting. Um, she, she was a bookkeeper, and she used to be able to balance the checkbook to the penny. She could barely even write a number. She never said anything. The only thing that she was able to do, as she always did, was play the piano and sing. And I need to talk about music and the effect and, and, and the promise that it gave to my mother and, and me. I will be talking Absolutely. about that. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, so um, talk about that. What was she like? She was a bookkeeper and a musician. She, and, well, like. music was in my family. My mother's four siblings all played an instrument really, really well professionally. And my mom sang, and she played the piano by ear. And she was a... And Yiddish, you call it a brand. She was like a tough cookie. She was a tough cookie. And when my father was, was injured in World War II and he was in um, a rehab, so to speak, she went and she would entertain everybody there by singing. And, and she just always played the piano and sang. And they had a beautiful piano in the home. And I started taking piano lessons at, at six. So music was at the core of my relationship with my mother. Whenever I came there, she would say, Ellen, play something for me. And I would sit down and play. And then I'd say, Mom, play something for me. And she would just go on and on and on. And when she was in the, when she was in, oh, the other thing is that she used to go with my father to nursing homes to entertain the residents. And she would, he would give out cookies, and she would play the piano and sing with them and, and play games with them and everything. But it was always music. It was music, music, not classical, mostly Broadway tunes and, and standards, but it was music, music, music. So when we went to the atria, in the parlor in the atria was a beautiful big piano. And after about a few months of living there, my mom couldn't play the piano anymore. She didn't have a desire to play the piano. But she sang. She loved to sing. So I would go down to the parlor, and I would play something for my mom. And she would be sitting in her wheelchair right next to the piano. I can see it in front of my eyes. 
and sorry, it just it, it was such a beautiful time for me. Um, even though it was sad, and I would play and she would sing, and before you knew it, the parlor was filled with people, everybody singing, everybody singing, and my mother's so happy. And when she started to really forget things, and she would say that I was her sister and um, didn't really know who I was or what was going on, the way that we communicated was I would take her in the wheelchair and we'd walk around and we'd sing. I would say, oh, what a beautiful morning. And my mom would go, oh, what a beautiful day. And we communicated that way. And it was just beautiful because music is, is my identity, the most important thing always to me in my life. And my mom gave me that. And that I could share that with her. And that that could help her get through this horrible, horrible time and help me too. It was priceless. It was just priceless. tell you how how intense that Alzheimer's hit my mother. I was so afraid to tell her that my father died. He died on Valentine's Day of 2000 that I took her into the office of Adria with the nurse and her aide. I was afraid to tell her by myself. And I told her that my father, her, her life, her life of 65 years that he died. And she said, no, my Dave is, is left me. He's having an affair with someone else, and she never, ever asked about him again. Never asked about him again. Wow. But she would write little, sometimes she would write little scribbles on paper, and she would write, my Dave, my Dave Ratner. Or if she would write, try to write something to me, she would say, to Ellen and my Dave. So somehow he was, he was in her brain, he was in her head, but I believe, I believe, I'm not, that she could not accept the fact that he had died. She, and I took her to his funeral, but it was a freezing, bitter February day, and I didn't let her get out of the car. I figured, why, why punish her with this? Right. Why punish her with this? So we took, I took her to the cemetery. Never, ever asked about her day. That just is so incredible to me. So when you ask, where was my father during these times? He was not. He was not there. So it was just my mother and me. And I have to tell you, when I was younger, a teenager, and in my 20s and even 30s, my mother used to annoy me so much. I always found, I couldn't, if I visited, I couldn't wait to get home, and I always came home with a migraine. 
when my mother was like this with the Alzheimer's, she became like my little baby. She was my sweet little baby. Eventually, we had to put the sides up on the bed, and eventually, she had to have a diaper, and she would say, Ellen, come watch me wash my face. Ellen, come watch me brush my teeth. And she had these fabulous accomplishments, and I would go with her, and I would help her, and it I never had any children, and she became my baby. And it, I don't know why. Maybe it's crazy, but it was just beautiful. It was just beautiful. And I loved my mother during those times like I've never loved anyone else and probably never will. Go figure. She annoyed the hell out of me, but she was the sweetest, sweetest thing with the Alzheimer's. Yeah. And to have that close relationship, that's a that's. It was a, a gift. Win, that was right? a, gift, a gift, absolute right. gift from God. Yeah. I believe in that. How would she annoy you when you were younger? Oh, she would first, first <laughs> of all, because I played the piano in, in the community she lived. This is the biggest one that I could tell you. They had a newspaper called the Covered Bridge Gazette or something like that. And she wrote in the Covered Bridge Gazette that her daughter, Ellen Ratner, was a classical pianist who studied at Juilliard. I was no classical pianist. To this day, I am not a classical pianist. <laughs> Juilliard never. So neighbors and people would come by, and my parents had to say, Ellen, play something for us. So I always had to say, oh, I sprained my thumb. I broke my fingers. I'm, who knows what? Make up all these excuses. When I would come and visit, I, I would ring the bell. My mother would open the door. My life is here. That annoyed me so because I didn't want to be my mother's life. You know, it was too much of a burden for me and, and just too annoying. It was annoying to me when we sat in the car and my mother would grab my hand and start fondling my hand. If only I could be in that car with her again and have her do that. But that annoyed me. You know what? Everything about her annoyed me. And she was a real Jewish mother. Mm -hmm. She would call me if it was snowing. Ellen, it's snowing. I don't want you to go to work today. So... And if I didn't call her, she would call me. You like you love your friends more than you love me. So she just was always on me, always on me, always trying to protect me, always trying to be my boss, always on top of me, smothering. Mm -hmm. That's what was annoying about my mother. But when she had Alzheimer's, she wasn't like that. She sounds like quite a character. Quite a character. Ask any of her nieces or nephews. They say, Ellen, we don't know how you came out as normal as you did with <laughs> Ethel as your mother. Sorry to say it, Mom. I, you know, I'll, I'll probably be punished for, for doing saying that, but it's really the truth. And and she knew. She was she was a piece of work. Yeah, and she knew it. And she knew it. Yeah. Yes. So she loved that identity. She right? loved that identity, and yeah. she loved being the center of everything, and she loved breaking out into song in the middle of a conversation and have everybody listen to her, and uh -huh. she needed to be the entertainer, and oftentimes she was. Did she ever try to become a professional and entertainer, or did she no. just love music just for her She own just loved music, but in all her organizations, for instance, Hadassah, she was very big in Hadassah. She's, she acted and sang in all the shows. Mm -hmm. In Sisterhood, she acted and sang. Whenever my family got together at my grandparents' house, always we would say, okay, let's, somebody has to entertain. Ellen, you play the piano. This one, you sing. This one, my mother, I'm going to sing. Everybody quiet, I'm singing. My mother had to be center stage, and she was. You're the one I you Oh, yes, indeed. I claim the 
really really beautiful because my parents were very very loving they were so loving with each other and they were very loving to me they couldn't have children they were married for nine years and they couldn't have children and then my father was drafted to the marines and he got injured in the marines he had what they he was what you call what they called a casualty but now I think they would call it post-traumatic stress so he was there he was in the marines and my mother went to visit him. And my mother was told for nine years that she couldn't have children. And she was always very heavy. She was a big woman. And she went home, and she thought she had a tumor in her stomach because she couldn't, was told she couldn't have children. And when they told her she was pregnant, this was the biggest miracle in the world. So when I tell you that I was the miracle child all growing up, all growing up, I was the golden, golden child with my parents not with everybody else. And because I was an only child and I was kind of very shy and insecure, I lived a lot in my house. I read a lot. I played the piano all the time, always played the piano. I sang, I listened to records, and I was at my mother's side always. So growing up, I was, I was smart. I was a smart kid, but I was very introverted. And I'm not, so, I was not athletic, so I, I didn't do well with the other kids. You know, they would never pick me for jump rope or punch ball or anything like that. And my mother would always say, be careful, be careful if you jump rope. You know, don't get your legs tangled up. You might fall. Or, or don't play ball. The, the, the ball is going to hit you in the chest. So, of course, I was afraid to do anything. She made me that way. And in older years when I realized that, I was so upset with her for doing that. She made me that way. I had no choice, even though unconsciously, I had no choice but to be that way. Right. But then, now that I think of it, I'm kind of glad in a way because mm -hmm. music, I'm retired now, and music has become my mainstay with all the volunteer work that I do. And it's my love, and, and it brings her back to me. And so... If I hadn't been that way, I probably wouldn't have had, had music be my heart like that. So she gave me a real present. And my father was very quiet and very, she used to call him a spineless jellyfish. He was very meek and quiet. How can anybody be anything but with Ethel in the room? Right. So it was always Ethel. Right. And you became a teacher. And I became a teacher. I was a music teacher. I taught here in Manhattan. I taught for 32 years wow. music, and, and I just loved it. And then when I retired, 
I remembered what my parents had done in the nursing homes with the singing, and I played the piano. And so I started doing what I call Sing Along with Ellen. I would do nursing, singing in nursing homes. And um, I wound up building up a chorus. I started teaching a chorus of retired teachers in Staten Island 12 years ago. Long story how I got there, not necessary for this podcast. And I also um, just started a chorus of seniors at the JCC in Manhattan. I'm just starting to build that up. So music is still my identity. I, I work on the arrangements of the songs, and I play the piano, and I sing my heart out. And when I sing, I know that my mother is, is up there singing with me. Oh, and I don't have a pretty voice. <laughs> I don't have a pretty voice, but it's loud. Well, if you're singing with love, then I'm sure that exactly. it's beautiful. Enough, exactly. Right? Did you rely on any other resource for help? Well, at that time, they had some, some groups for people with dementia, at, which would take them in the afternoon for activities, and she refused to go. So I couldn't, I couldn't, any kind of help that I wanted to get for her, she refused. She just wanted to be home with her Dave and now with me, and she just wanted to be home. So there was really very, very little that I could do. And then when my father got weaker and weaker, and, and we couldn't have AIDS there. We couldn't have AIDS, and I couldn't live with them. I had a life. I couldn't, even though I would walk in and my mother would say, my life is here, I, I couldn't cope. So I spoke to my father, not my mother, because she would go crazy. She would be worry about the money and worry about not want to move and not want to leave her house, the way people, older people are. And I spoke to my father, and I said, you know, we're going to have to do something. And he was thrilled. He was really thrilled. He wanted to do that. And I'll never forget the day that I went with him to go to Atria, which was in Queens. My parents were, were religious, and they needed a kosher place. And I wanted them close to the city. So there were a couple of lovely kosher places in Queens. And so I was taking my father to look at it. And my mom, we just said we were going to go shopping or something. He had lost a lot of weight from a C. diff infection that he got in the hospital. He was 5'10", and he was down to 125 pounds. So he had really lost a lot of weight. He was very ill. And he put on his best jacket, his navy blue jacket, and his khaki pants and a beautiful paisley shirt. And he was dressed to the nines, but he was so skinny that his clothes were hanging from him. And we went, and he was so happy to go to this place. And, and the pl first place we went, they said that they they had no room, but that they just built a brand-new atria in Kew Gardens. My father said, Ellen, let's go. And we went, and we loved it. It was everything my father could want for him and my mother. It was. It had everything, even synagogue services on a Saturday, and it was. It, it just had everything. And he was happy because he knew that he and Ethel needed help. And he could. And he couldn't cope with it. And my right. mother needed help. She was right. belligerent always and angry with him. And he didn't know what to do with her. What do you do with this? Right. So, and she couldn't dress herself. She just couldn't. She couldn't do so many of the things which one usually does for oneself. So he was thrilled. And as I said, I moved them in October, and he he died in February. And I truly believe that he felt that she was in good hands, that she was taken care of, and then it would be okay for him to go. And I really believe that that happened. And. The place that they were in, it was 
it had a den and a big living room, and we put the two beds in the living room, hospital beds, and I made the den an exact replica of the den in my parents' apartment. I measured the bookshelves. I measured the distance of the two chairs, and I brought the piano, and I, and I drew a plan. I had been an interior design once, so I knew how to do it, and I gave it to the guys who were going to put up the shelves. And so it looked to my mother exactly like the den that she had. It wasn't the same, but I knew that she felt at home. Everything, the pictures, the shelves, the books, the piano, it was exactly like that was there. So I, I just tried to make them feel as at home as they could. And at that point, they were both in wheelchairs, and I wound up having to have round-the-clock aides, 828 and 828. Wow. Because it because they just needed too much, and especially when my father went, because my mom couldn't really do anything for herself. Right. And to this day, I'm still very close with Lily, one of my mother's aides, who was there around the clock, and, and I speak to her all the time, and... and she just loved, everybody loved my mother. Everybody loved my mother. Did she have a lot of visitors at, uh, at Not Adriana? Not many because we didn't have much family. Her brother lived in Massachusetts. She had a cousin and very close friends who would come. And I came, I would go there two, three times a week and sometimes even sleep over. And I became very friendly with a lot of the people there. So I brought them over to her. And once she saw, once they saw that she was nice and sweet, they sort of congregated to her. And I also had a trick. My mother loved sweets. And I used to bring a whole bunch of Tootsie Roll lollipops for her. And when people came, I would give them the Tootsie Roll, a Tootsie Roll lollipop. So they associated that with my mother. So everybody would come by and, and, and talk to her for Tootsie Roll lollipop and for Ethel, I believe. <laughs> to the extent that they could be, were they happy there? My father was so happy there because there were several people there who were very learned in, in the Jewish traditions, and he would talk with them. He, he had no one to talk to for, for three years at home because nobody came to the house. Nobody wanted to visit him. So he went there, and everybody, he, he would talk to all these men, and they had services every Saturday, and he would go to services, and he was so in his element. He was so happy, even though he was so ill, to the extent that he could be happy. And he saw that my mom was being taken care of. And he saw that I came all the time and that, you know, we were, we were still close and she wouldn't be left alone. And she, she was never alone. So I think he felt very happy. And my mom was very happy there, too, because... People paid attention to her. She had this wonderful, these two wonderful aides who adored her and took care of her every need. She was a queen. She was a queen. And then she had me coming, and she had the music, and she had entertainment there. And, and they took her to play bingo. She didn't know what she was doing, but she would, she would go. They took her to see a movie, and I know she would just... The last movie I saw there with her was West Side Story, which is such an iconic film. And I would stop in the middle of the film. I would nudge her and say, look at the, And she was just blank, totally blank. But, but I think she was very happy there, even without my father. Well, she had yeah. you and she had yes. music singing and alongside she did. her. And, That's yes. a dream, right? Yeah, absolutely. Do you have a favorite memory of your mom? I would believe, I hate to say it, but it was when she had Alzheimer's. You know, I hate to say that because how horrible is that? When when we were just sitting together 
and singing together. The night before she died, right before we went upstairs, my, we, I wheeled my mom past the parlor. She wasn't ill. She wasn't dying. That I mean, very, very sick. She had colon cancer. She really died of that. But I wheeled her by the piano when she said, Ellen, let's, let's sing something. What do you want to sing, Mom? Let's sing Sun en Some Enchanted Evening. And she sang Some Enchanted Evening at the top of her lungs, almost screaming it. She was so happy. And she loved that song and that show so much. And I wheeled her upstairs. And the next morning at 7.30 in the morning, I got a phone call from hospice. You better come. Your mother's dying. And Chris, I made it. I made it. To, as I came there, the, the ambulances, I heard them, the siren, but I made it to the hospital. And so I was able to be with my mother for the last two, two hours of her life. And all she said was, Ellen, I love you. Ellen, I love you. I was there for two hours and, and I practically laid on top of her on the gurney in, in the emergency room. <laughs> and she would just keep putting her arms around me and then she'd get tired and drop them and put her on. Ellen, I love you, drop. Ellen, I love you, drop. And I will never forget that was a gift. That was a real gift. So I was very blessed to be able to have such closeness with my parents, even though it was in their later, later, later years. And also for me to know that I did well by them. And I did well by my parents. That is the greatest gift of all. You're a good kid, Ellen Ranner. Thank you. You too. If you meet someone who is currently a caregiver, what would you tell them uh, as your, your best advice? I would say try to have a good sense of humor, lie a lot, <laughs> touch them, hug them, and kiss them, and treasure every moment you have. Great advice. Ellen Ratner, thank you so much for sharing your story with us. My pleasure, Chris. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to share your story, go to caringkindnyc.org slash podcast. Maybe we'll use your story on the show. We'd love to hear from you. Please subscribe to this podcast and leave some glowing feedback. We love positive reinforcement. I'm Chris Doucette, and you're listening to Caregiver Storyteller, produced by Caring Kind, the heart of Alzheimer's caregiving. <laughs>